You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, I want to share something that's been on my heart uh, for a little while. That Jesus is the bread of life. He is meant to be our sustenance, the very thing that sustains us. Yes, he is the door into the kingdom, but he, he is also the very life that sustains us, the substance of the kingdom. He's the way into the kingdom and then the very substance of the kingdom. And far too often we relegate the gospel simply to the doorway into the kingdom, when in reality he is not just the way into the kingdom, he is the good news of Jesus, he is our very life now, it's our very diet So Jesus came and declared himself to be the bread of life. He's the door and the bread. He's the way and the truth and the life. He stands at the door and knocks and he says, if you believe in me, I'm gonna gonna come in, I'm gonna actually dine with you. I'm gonna live life with you in that sort of fellowship. He's the deliverer. From the, from the captive, from slavery, he's the deliverer and he's the bread that sustains us in the wilderness. He's both. So I want us to be a people that are sustained by Jesus himself. That we don't move on. And so often in our Christian circles, we, we start, yes, with this affirmation of Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as King of our life. And, and then we move on to self-help and we move on to all the theological nuances that maybe kind of pique our fancy or, or pique our curiosity. And it oftentimes kind of sends us into, these, into the, this um, no man's land, away from the, the life-giving power of the gospel that's meant to be Jesus himself, day in, day out, with us. So John chapter six, there's a lot that's happened leading up to this. This has been all kind of a wild 24 hours leading up to John chapter six. We're gonna start reading in verse 22. Jesus, through the hands of his disciples, so not even, just, not, not even through his hands, but through the hands of his disciples, fed a mass of 5,000 plus people at least 5,000 people. After a day of teaching and their, their, their bellies were grumbling, Jesus feeds them, literally feeds them. Then he sends his disciples on a boat across the Sea of Galilee and he goes up to the mountain to pray. They get thrown into a storm and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. This is all on the day of a life with Jesus. comes to them walking on the water and immediately they're transported to the, to the shoreline. The, the storm subsides. They're safe. And then on the next day, that's where we find ourselves. So the next morning, let's just pray before we read God's word. Lord, I pray you'd be exalted, that you'd be magnified, that you'd be seen through your word. Spirit of God, we need you in this hour. We need you in this moment to bring to life your word. May this not just be words on a page, words spoken from a mouth. May they, be, may, may they be filled with the person of yourself, with your person, Spirit of God, which you come, bring life to weary hearts, to dead places, resurrection life come in your mighty name, amen. Amen. 
So the next day, the crowds are swelling around Jesus. I mean, think about this. He fed 5,000 plus people in the wilderness. Then even word gets out that he was walking on the water. The crowds are just swelling to him here in Capernaum. It says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea that saw there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread and the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. The crowds, they, they needed to be with Jesus, with this, this one who could, who could feed the masses and who could even uh, defy natural law and walk on water. When they found him on the other side, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus speaks to something here in regards to the, just the human condition. This isn't bad. He's just pointing us to a human reality that many times we come to Jesus because of one of two reasons, because of a sign of his greatness, of his power, or because of some miraculous provision, some way in which he provided for us. He, he met a need. Most of us, when we come to Jesus, we come to him in moments of crisis. There's, there's, there's moments where he, we, we are, like our desperate need for him is so evident that we cry out and he meets us. And Jesus is speaking to them about that. He knew that many people followed him because of the signs that he did. And here he's saying, you didn't seek me because of the signs, but it was rather because I met a need. You were hungry and I fed you. Miraculously, I fed you. And now you're seeking me out. And so that's fine. Jesus isn't mad about that. He's not caught off guard by that. He knew that would be the case. But the Lord's heart is for us to move beyond just what he does for us and for us to, to go to this place of knowing him for who he is. We may, kim, we may come to him because of what he's done, but what keeps us there is who he is. So people come to him for his signs, they, they come to him for his provision, but people stay with him when they see him for who he is. And that's what he's going to be pointing them to, towards in this passage pointing them towards truly who he is, the substance of who he is, not these things that come and go, because crisis will come and go. Our personal needs, they'll come and go. They'll, they'll wane and they'll, they'll ebb and they, they'll flow. But Jesus wants to point them to something eternal, something unchanging, and that is him, himself. So let's read that in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus, we'll just stop there for a moment. Jesus draws this uh, distinction between food that perishes, the actual food that we have in our cupboard that, that they were just fed even, and the food of himself. He's gonna call himself the bread of life. And there's, there's a difference. But the two things, our physical needs and our spiritual needs are not completely disconnected. 
People oftentimes split our lives into two different hemispheres. Hey, there's the physical and then there's the spiritual. Two different unrelated things. But I would say these temporary things are, are simply the Lord's way of sparking and pointing us to our need for him, our, our spiritual need for him. I remember having a conversation with, with a pastor in regards to a difficult situation, someone who is, who is really bound by life-controlling issues. And there can be a lot of conversations that are had about how to deal with those sorts of situations. But I have resolved in my heart that those situations of addictions and life-controlling issues even if we deal with the symptoms of the addictions, eventually we have to deal with the, the truest need of, of a human heart, which is their, their spiritual realities, their spiritual standing before a holy God. So it's not that we can't deal with the physical needs. I think we should. And in fact, that's why we, we actively seek ways to feed the poor, to serve the needy, to serve relevant needs in our community. But it must go beyond that as well. Those become inroads, and for Jesus, that was the case as well. Those became the the inroads to point them towards eternal realities, to point them towards the spiritual spiritual matters that really, really matter in light of eternity. Food that perishes versus food that endures for life. Jesus is going to point them towards a substance that's eternal, I think it's important for us to resolve in our hearts as a people looking to point a world to things that really matter. I remember one of my heroes said, C.T. Studd, he said, what is it worth to possess the riches of the world when a man comes to face eternity himself? He refers to God himself as eternity. We have to resolve that in our hearts as we seek to meet the needs of those around us. We do it with compassion. And I don't mean we always need to preach at everybody all the time, but make sure even the motivation of our hearts is to serve and to meet needs with this this motivation for the things of eternity. We should meet needs. That's why James tells us that pure and undefiled religion cares for the widows and the orphan. And John tells us that we can't say we love God, but then hate the person that we see right in front of us. Hate, I mean, we say we love God who we can't see, but then we hate our neighbor who we can see with our own eyes. They're all matters of spirituality. They are all spiritual, uh, spiritual reality, spiritual matters. They're all interconnected. Verse 28, it says this, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So they, they asked the question, what work are you talking about? Jesus said, do not work for food that perishes, but rather work for the food that endures for life. So then what is this work? So Jesus is gonna answer that, verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. He uses their their language. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. This is the good news of Jesus. The work that we do in response to who God has revealed himself to be is we believe. We fully trust and throw ourselves on him, on his character, on the certainty of his character, on who he is. So the Lord wants to move us from just loving him or serving him or believing in him for what he's done or what he's provided for us, but rather for us to believe in him for who he is. 
I've thought often uh, lately about my, my father in law who passed away three months ago, Fourth of July weekend, who was just uh, such an amazing man of God. And many people, the weeks of his passing, you know, rallied to share stories of what he was like, people who had been impacted by his life. But many of these people, they, they had known him for, for small moments in passing because my wife's father was such a generous man. Every person he came into, in, into uh, interacted with, you know, he just exuded generosity. He, he, he blessed them with his smile. He gave them an encouraging word. He paid for their coffee. I mean, this man just lived that sort of life of outward generosity. But the generosity and the outward expression of the love of God wasn't the entirety of the man. This man, Cal, no, there was something deep inside. There was a substance to him. And in a similar way, this, Jesus is more than just the things he does for us and, the, and the, the things that he gives to us. There is a substance to him, an eternal substance that is meant to be the very life for our souls. So Jesus offers us eternal life that has substance, substance for the now. This is what's meant to sustain us in this life in the kingdom from the moment we say yes to Jesus, from then on, our, the substance for our life, the essence of our life should be himself as the bread, the sustaining diet for our life, the bread of life that came down from heaven. That we would believe. The work of Jesus is to believe. That means dying to self-effort that's the way of Jesus. It's throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus, trusting that he really is that good, that he truly is that able to save us. This is the good news of Jesus, that he is enough. So Jesus uses the, the language that, that we come to him with, but he fills it with the meaning of the kingdom. When you, when you want to work for this, uh, this gift, the work that I'm calling you to do is to believe. Believe. Throw yourself at his feet. Fully trust that he is as good as he says he is. Verse 30, it says this. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? They, they go back to that. That we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they want a sign. At first, these, want, these, these crowds came because he provided a need. He provided food. Now they're wanting the sign. I said there's usually two things that lead us to coming to recognizing Jesus as Lord. It's either a sign or provision. Well, now they want a sign. This isn't wrong. It's just that we can't stay there. It's often the signs or God's provision in crisis that initially lead us to him. And he's relevant to these things. I mean, you think of when we are, when your stomach starts to growl and you're really hungry, it's hard to think about anything else, right? That's why Jesus does care about meeting these needs. Because he, he wants us to, for our actual attention to be given to him. And sometimes that's hard to do if, we're, if our stomach is growling, literally. Or if, if our bank account is, is at zero, or in the negative, if we owe people some money, it's hard to think about anything else. And so Jesus, in his goodness, he says, you know, 
I'll take care of that. In my generosity, I'll meet your need. But he wants us to go beyond that. And so it is for, for these, these crowds inquiring of him. They, he wants them to go beyond a sign, to go beyond him just meeting a need. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, and he said that up a few verses early as well, truly, truly, like Jesus wants their attention. That word is actually amen. I spoke a message about Jesus himself being our amen just a few weeks ago. That's the Hebrew word there. The Semitic word is amen, amen. I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you true bread from heaven. What they had quoted in verse 31, he says, or the crowd said, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're quoting Nehemiah. And Jesus, Jesus is pointing them to the fact that he is the fulfillment of what Nehemiah prophesied about. The actual bread from heaven that sustains Israel and now sustains humanity, is he himself. It's he is the bread of life. I am this bread from heaven that the prophet Nehemiah spoke about. For the bread of God is he, verse 33, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He is the bread from heaven. He is the greatest sign. It's fine that we want to sign. It's fine that we want him to meet a need. But his hope and his heart is that we would see him as the ultimate, the ultimate sign. He is God with us. He is the bright and morning star. He is the bread of life. He's the the living water. He is the Passover lamb. He is the, the mighty deliverer from slavery. He is the ultimate sign. And I'll tell you this morning that Jesus is enough. If he never gave us another sign, if you never met another need, I want to tell you we are standing in a moment of, of great judgment. Like this generation, we're standing in a moment of uh, like intense high levels of judgment because of the revelation of Jesus that's been given to us. The, the Lamb of God has been revealed to humanity in our generation. In unprecedented ways through the, the spreading of the word of God and numerous languages and numerous forms. It's all sitting here before us. The revelation of God himself in the person of Jesus. It's available for us. The question is, will, will that be enough? The sign of Jesus, the one, the crucified Christ, the one we sang about earlier, the one who rose from the dead, who showed himself to be stronger than death from death itself. They wanted a sign. The message of Jesus stands apart. You won't hear this good news anywhere else. That the work that you do to come to the Father is actually throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. You stop doing. You actually stop the self-effort and self-righteousness and trying to clean yourself up. Instead, you continually throw yourself before the Lord. And, and we can do that when we initially come to the Lord, maybe. But then oftentimes we, we get confused and, or we get wrong teaching and we, we think from then on, the, the, the road into the, into the kingdom was, was good news, grace through faith, but then the road forward is religion. It's I gotta do these things to make myself better, to clean myself up. But no, daily, he says, take up your cross. That's oftentimes the cross of self-effort. 
the cross of self-righteousness, trying to clean ourselves up. No, we believe and we believe again. And tomorrow, what, what do we do? We throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and we trust him fully, that he is enough. Oh Lord, be my daily bread. Be the bread for my life, the very sustenance for my soul. So verse 34, you have to love their resounding reply. They, they said to him, sir, give, give us this bread always. And I pray that this would, would be our response. Lord, give us this bread. This bread that you're talking about, he's talking about himself. This bread that came down from heaven. He says, it's, it's me, myself. I'm the one who came down from heaven and I give life to the world. And they said, give me this bread always. I pray that that would be our prayer. Lord, give us Give us this bread always. I pray that this would be our diet. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He was so certain as the son of the father, son of God, that he would receive the full inheritance of what he came to accomplish. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. That's the will of the Father. That's the, the highest purposes of God through the life of Jesus. To anyone who looks on the Son and believes on him, that recognizes him for who he is, that acknowledges their need for him and throws themselves at his feet, they'll have eternal life. They'll raise him up on the last day. So we're gonna stop in verse 40. I'll continue another time from there, but I just want to kind of summarize what Jesus is saying and what that then means for our lives. Because I've said that you know, we, we come to Jesus for many different reasons, or a couple different reasons that I identified, but what it is that keeps us is knowing who he is. That's what keeps us in this life in the kingdom, this Christian life of following Jesus, saying yes to him, is, is eating on the daily bread himself. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus told us, he said to believe. What does it mean to believe? One, it means to come to him. It means to actually acknowledge our need for him. And we don't leave that place. I've actually found as I walk with the Lord, a greater revelation of my need for the Lord, a greater dependence. Maturity in the Lord has, for me, has, has continued to be revealed as greater dependence on the Lord. Greater need for his grace to be poured out of my life. May we never leave that. That's what it means to believe. And so the maturity is to grow in that belief of our continual need for the Lord. To believe means to see him rightly. Like I said, Jesus revealed himself as the greatest sign. That means as we walk with him, we see him continually rightly. In an increasing fashion, we see him rightly. As Paul tells us, from glory to glory. As we're beholding him, we go from glory to glory, seeing him rightly as the greatest sign. 
as the God-man, meaning the bridge from God to man himself, fully God, fully man. The fact that he came and really took on flesh to bridge the divide between a broken humanity and divinity himself. He is the God-man, the perfect and sinless lamb of God. Meaning he was tempted in every way, but without sin. That he was perfectly spotless and pure and righteous. Just as every Passover, the priest would look over the sacrifices of the lamb to look for any blemish, any spot. So it was that Jesus stood before the high priest the week of Passover and they, they, were, they were interrogating him. They were looking for any spot, any blemish. Why? Because he's the perfect, spotless lamb of God, sinless in every way. So we heed the, the words of John the Baptist. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We allow that to continually to pour over our hearts. Do we look at the lamb of God as the substitute, as, as the only substitute for our sin in our life? We see him rightly as the resurrected son of God, the one who conquered death, who went into the grave and came out, who pre- uh, prophesied, predicted that he would, and he did who said he would raise himself back up from the dead. He's the resurrected son of God and he's the ascended son of God. He ascended to to the right hand of the father, meaning he is a living person right now. It's a right now reality, not just a historical reality. It's a right now reality of the ascended glorified Christ at the right hand of the father. So to believe him means to see him rightly. And we continually look at him in that way and with fresh eyes of faith, believe again. Believe afresh. We we allow it to wash over us in a way that rids us of self-effort and self-justifying and self-righteousness. And again, we throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus saying, I trust you, Lord. I believe in you. I say yes to this work of the kingdom today. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I say yes to this work to believe on you. So it means to come to him, to acknowledge our need for the Lord. It means to believe by seeing him rightly. It also, to believe means to receive him as the greatest sign, to actually receive him in our heart, to actually welcome him, to rule and reign, as we sang earlier. Not just mental assent, but to believe and receive, to welcome his rule and reign in our life. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward because we're gonna close and respond to the Lord this morning, but I wanted to equip our church family. I love to speak messages that are relevant to 100% of the people. And the gospel is just that. Doesn't matter if you've never heard the gospel or you've heard the message of Jesus and been sitting in a chair in this church for 30 years. The message of the gospel is the true food for your soul. The message of the good news of Jesus and his his act of taking your place on the cross, coming and conquering sin and death on your behalf is the substance, substantial solution for your soul. And the reason I say that confidently is because oftentimes what leads us into relationship with the Lord is some sort of crisis or evident need 
And then people they say yes to Jesus and in his good nature, he does turn our life around and things begin to go well for us. But then inevitably, and Jesus promised us this, that trials would come our way. Trials and tribulations come our way. And so often I see people fall away from the Lord because of bad times that come, because of crises that arise, because of needs that pop up in their life. And they're like, well, what happened to God? Where is he? I thought I trusted him. I thought I believed in him. When in reality, the Lord is just entrusting you with an opportunity to say yes to him again, to believe him afresh. That's what he's, he's done. A beautiful testimony of this was given to me a number of years ago, back when me and my wife were living out in Seattle. Beautiful living testimony. This man who he's, he used to serve as a pastor before we knew him, but seemed to have just like a perfect life especially in like the, the Western Christian way of it. I mean, an amazing wife. They were actually high school sweethearts. He had, had three kids. They went to church every, every week, obviously. And then he, he became a pastor later and just seemed to be like a picture perfect example of, of, you know, what this Christian life should be like. But before we knew him, his life began to really fall apart from, from the external perspective. Him and his wife were reaching their 40s and his, uh, that decade of their life and his wife kind of fell into a midlife crisis, began drinking, began messing around in relationships, bad relationships and ended up having an adulterous affair, essentially turned completely away from the Lord, his wife did. And it was a painful ordeal painful, painful ordeal. It's it's like his heart being ripped out of his chest. And so it's like over a matter of a year or two, it's like what seemed like a picture perfect situation just went completely opposite. Everything stripped away from him, everything taken away from him. Couldn't be in ministry obviously anymore. He only saw his kids on the weekends. His wife had just uh, pretty heartlessly, you know, raked him over the coals paid so much in child support, so financially everything was ripped from him. But Tani and I met him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest, I would have never known that was his story, that was even his current situation because of the testimony of the way this man beamed with the Lord. This man beamed with the joy of the Lord. He had this smile, and my wife can attest to it. He had just this beaming smile one time he brought me a birthday cake to, uh, to my house, my condo in downtown Bremerton, the town we were living in. He brought this birthday cake to me. It was, it was so funny. I've never had someone show up in my house the birthday cake, but he brought me a birthday cake. It was like a Monday or something. And he just wanted to say happy birthday and, and celebrate. He just like beamed with the joy of the Lord. So even though we would all said, oh, whoa, whoa, is David. his name is David. Whoa is David, man. Just like Job's friends would say, you know, he just wouldn't have it. He chose Jesus. I remember one time he actually said this, Drew, I've lost everything. But can I tell you that I still feel like God has blessed me? And he said this, I have Jesus, so I'll always have enough. This world or the enemy or, you know, you can name your reasons for the, the, the problem of evil in this world, but 
But at the end of it, nothing can steal from us this, this good news of believing on him, believing on this bread that was sent from heaven, the person of Jesus. You see, trust looks like something. Belief has to look like something. It has to be more than checking a box on a card or the status on your social media accounts or mental ascent. It has to be more than that. It has to look like something. It is this leap of trust into the ocean of God's love. And it is scary at times. And I would say sometimes it doesn't make sense. I've kind of grown this this love for jumping off cliffs into bodies of water over the years. So when I was 14, I first had this experience in the nation of Guatemala. Miss Rose is from Guatemala. Yes, beautiful country. Age of 14, there she is. Yes, she's awesome. The age of 14, got this opportunity to jump off this 45-foot cliff into Atitlan, Lake Atitlan, beautiful lake up in the volcanoes, surrounded by volcanoes. 45-foot cliff into the waters. And it was exhilarating. I mean, as a 14-year-old, never had that experience and pretty scared out of my mind. And ever since then, I've just been intrigued by the, those opportunities that have arisen uh, now number, numbers of times in Canada and northern Minnesota and Washington and, and uh, Hawaii. Jumped off a cliff in Hawaii. Just, it's fun. What's ironic about that, what's ironic about that thrill is uh, that I'm not a great swimmer. So you guys may know that, you may know that last year uh, I kind of had a, a brush with death and I was pulled, you know, unconscious out of a lake after drowning and just praise God that, that I'm alive. But I, I liken that, like how, like life somehow, or sometimes just beats you up and like has you in this position where you just feel like you've been pulled out of the waters you've been pulled and you're kind of lifeless. You got nothing left to show. You've been beat up and you always have a decision. You always have a decision. Are you going to get back up again? Are you going to make the leap afresh? Are you going to make the leap into the ocean of God's love afresh? Are you going to allow that experience, that circumstance, that crisis, those troubles, those tribulations that have come your way, win the day? You know, let those things carry the day or are you going to get back up are you going to leap afresh into the love of God into the ocean of God's love and trust him again are you going to believe again are you going to allow the bread of life to be the sustaining life for you that's the question if we'd all stand in this place I'm going to give us an opportunity to believe afresh to believe afresh. Like I said, this is relevant to every single person in this place because either you've never believed or you've believed and the invitation is to believe again. If you'd all close your eyes and bow your heads in this place. If you're here this morning and you need to believe, you need to place yourself at the feet of Jesus. You need to throw yourself in his sufficiency. You need to declare that he is enough, that he is the only answer for your sin issue, that he is the only answer for your life, that he truly is the bread of life, is the the food for your soul. I want to give you an opportunity 
to boldly do that before the Lord today. If that's you, would you just come out of your seat, come forward this morning, come and seek the Lord and believe in him. If that's you this morning, you need to believe in the Lord. Just come. He is the God man. He's the perfect, perfect, sinless lamb of God. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yeah, you can just begin to seek the Lord. Believe on him. Look to him. He is the only answer. And it's in that place as we look at him that we receive forgiveness. The cleansing waters of the love of God begin to wash over us. Forgiving We just pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me, everybody in this place. And precious daughter that just responded, pray like this. Lord, this morning I believe. This morning I believe. I trust in you. I trust in you. As the only answer for my sin issue. As the only answer for my sin. As the only savior for my soul. As the only savior for my soul. I believe that you really did come. And you took my place on the cross. And that you did rise from the dead. You did rise from the dead. That you did ascend to the right hand of the Father. And now I can have forgiveness of sins. I can have new life. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. No turning back, Lord. This is now our diet. This is now our new food. This is the true food of the kingdom. From this day forward, to believe in you. To believe in you. To place our trust in you. We make that leap. It's exhilarating. May we never leave that place. Full trust and abandonment to you, Lord. Secondly, you're here in this place and you've walked with the Lord, but you've maybe moved on to other things other than believing on him. Whether that's just discouragement or whether you've resorted to self-effort and self-help and in a fresh way, you need to say you believe in him. Would you just come this morning? Prayer team will come and minister as well, but You need to come in a fresh way and declare your trust in the Lord. Whatever your circumstance is, whatever your situation is, the grace of God is enough. Would you come? I'm actually lingering because we are going to receive communion here in a moment. Paul tells us, he actually gives us very, very strong instruction on communion. And he said in, in Corinth that he believed many of them were falling sick, falling ill, simply because they were not receiving communion rightly. And, 
And so to like to take these things lightly, I just don't want us to fall into those traps. I'm not saying that's why any of you here are here and sick, but I'm just saying I want us to, I want us to proceed rightly. So if you need prayer this morning, just come. If you need to place your trust in the Lord regarding a circumstance, Lord, we choose you afresh. I make the leap off the cliff of trusting in myself and self-effort and maybe even my resume. And I, I make the leap of childlike trust into the ocean of your love. I say afresh, you are the only answer for my life, that you are the bread that sustains me. I pray upon this church family that we would be a Jesus people that embrace the foolishness of such a pure and simple message. A message that is not impressed by what we do, but a message that continually looks at the sufficiency of Jesus, at the Lamb of God that was given on our behalf, the sacrifice of heaven, I pray that would rest upon this house, upon this church family, a childlike trust that says yes in a resounding way every single day to your sufficiency, to your goodness. You just receive that church family. The grace of God that is enough to say yes every single day. Every single day we take up our cross and we say yes to Jesus. Every temptation that rises that says we should trust in ourselves, trust in something else. No, we die to that. We say yes to you, Jesus. You alone are enough. You alone are enough. Hallelujah. We believe. receive communion together as a church family. You're praying for someone. You can also get those that you're praying for. You can get them the elements. The elements are actually found in the seat backs in front of you. They're already pre-prepared. Could you just grab me one, Pastor Alex? Yeah, thanks, man. What a joy it is for us as a church family to receive communion together. This is what unites us. It's the work of Christ in our midst. This is what, there's no other unifying banner over us. Only Jesus could draw together such a eclectic group. You know, the whole full tapestry, the mosaic of the, the family of God, of humanity. It's the work of Christ. So could we take the bread? The bread is what we talked about all day today. It's Jesus himself in the flesh that he really did come and he came as our substitute. I just have faith this morning to believe that his presence is here in this moment. In this moment of 
the Lord's Supper of communion. That his presence really is here. And the bread is, is meant to be the bold declaration to us, to our souls, that he really is here. That he really did come as Emmanuel, as God with us. He really did take on flesh. And one of the most offensive things that Jesus said, why many people stopped following him, is he said, those that, need, that, those that follow me need to eat my flesh. He was pointing them to this very day when we would eat of the bread of life himself and his presence would come and sustain us, would seal us again afresh. The life-giving power of the grace of Jesus. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.